For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Oh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Amanda Griffiths with us. We're going to do something fun with her, though. We usually hit her up for really serious, heavy topics because she's one of these real smart people with letters after her names. But this one's going to be fun because you're well-versed in the classics. Uh, I grew up in a household with a you know Greekophile dad, so I had to learn my classics growing up. This got posed on Twitter, and I think you're the perfect person to ask about this because we were debating it a little bit. Um, I will credit it where credit is due. Um, Moses, um, Isaiah 545 at the, the Twitter, asked this question, does America have a national epic? And they listed a few things here. Of course, ancient Greek, you have the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, ancient Rome had the Aeneid, and I'm probably saying that wrong. India has something that I'm not even going to take a shot at uh, pronouncing. Germany, of course, had Foss. I would also throw the ring cycle in there, but that's just me being in Germany. I think the ring cycle has a lot more uh, cultural rates. Spain, they did Don Quixote. Um, England, maybe Tolkien, Beowulf, even though Beowulf was said in Norwegian, it was an English poem. Uh, Ireland, uh, Scotland, Osanian, uh, Scandinavian had Volsunga. There's some, of course, all the Viking stuff for all of the different Norwegian Nordic countries. Yeah. I love this question for this reason. Does America have a national epic? Now, I have a couple goofy ones I'm going to throw at you first, but just off the top of your head, you're a classicist. You study this stuff. Her Twitter handle is Ajax because, you know, Ajax, that Ajax, not the cleaning Ajax. Love him. No. That's a classic, but that's an epic. You know, Ajax is a part of the epic. Does America have an epic? So this would actually be a wonderful question to ask my sister, who is legitimately a classicist. She's a classics professor now. But we um, don't have her. We have you. We don't, and I'm definitely not her. But uh, what I would say is that Technically, no, because America was founded after the epic tradition really had its heyday. You had, I, I really, it really sort of died out mostly in the medieval era. And even, even that is very, very late. I'm talking about, you know, then that's when you would have things really being written down and transcribed. So America doesn't have a, a national epic in that technical sense, no. Also, because it's a it's it's a um, America, despite what some people might argue, doesn't have a uh, really doesn't have blood ties to the soil the way that a lot of a lot of areas that do have epics will, will typically have. So it's not as though there's this people that comes from this land that are given and that are that are given this land to then rule it. Um, as you would see, typically an epic sort of explains how that all goes down. Um, so it, it, it's 
it's not really the proper country. This is this is again the stilted academic answer. It's not the proper country to have an ep an epic in that sense. All right, I agree with everything you just said, but I'm going to pitch you one anyway, and I'm okay. going to bend I'm going to bend the definition a little bit because we're American. We just remix what everybody else does anyway and make it better because right. that's what we do. Let me pitch it to you this way, okay? Mm -hmm. Everything you said was true. This was after the epic period. But if you go to the 1800s, especially the mid to late 1800s, that's when a lot of our modern take, and I know I'm, I'm stretching modern, but that's when a lot of the modern kind of classical revivalist stuff was written. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, was in the 1800s. All, you know, every 150, 200 years, all of a sudden, everybody pays attention to the Greeks and the Romans again. It's like a cycle throughout history. There was a cycle in the 1800s and 18, late 1800s where all these philosophers started digging through the Greek stuff again and the Roman stuff again. So let me pitch you this one because it's, it doesn't fit perfect. But we kind of had a big deal happen in the mid 1800s, right? We had our civil war. And that is the one point in American history where all those divergent balls hit. Of course, it was flammatory. We had, you know, hundreds of thousands of deaths. We had just ripped the country apart. But from that point until now, I don't know of anything else that has shaped our nation more that has had more writing about it, that has more historical significance, that has more cultural significance. I think if you had to pick an epic and it fits that time period where people started talking about epics and classics again, and it happened in real time at that period, I think that might be the closest thing we have in the American national consciousness to an epic is the American Civil War. I think in, in terms of the, the national consciousness, you, you're correct. As you're talking about that era, by the way, and then this this is this is not directly uh, that era per se, but I was thinking you certainly do have these folk tales, right? That I think might fit the mold in some in some regard as an epic. Daniel Boone, uh, Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. If you wanted to say, what are the American epics? These I might call American epics. See, as you're talking, I'm having more of an opportunity to think this through, uh, because not only are they, uh, you know, are, are they are they works, uh, you know, that, that that encapsulate the spirit of a particular era. They sort of encapsulate the spirit the spirit of a country, right? So again, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn. All right, this is this is classic when you think all America and you think pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that kind of thing, spirit of adventure, uh, rugged individualism, all of that, you get that with, with these characters. Now, when you talk about the Civil War, it's interesting because that is, you're right, that's an oral tradition. Yes, people have written things down about the Civil War. You have Civil War diaries. Um, I think what would need to happen to consider the Civil War an epic in and of itself would be a little bit more codification of a narrative. Because when you go through, um, there's a lot of dispute about what happened during the Civil War. And I'm not even talking about, you know, what caused it, what were the factors. There's just so much at play. So when you say the Iliad, uh, the Odyssey, these are epics. Well, the Iliad that's taken from the Trojan War, but you don't say that the Trojan War itself is an epic. Um, so I would say that the Civil War provides fodder for epics. And I'm not disagreeing with you per se. I'm just saying to, like, to refine the answer a little bit, various accounts of the Civil War perhaps might be epochal, might, might, be, might be more in that vein. Um, 
but so I'll, t I'll, I'll see your answer and then I'll also kind of modify mine a little bit and say something like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn would be good American epics. I haven't seen this question. I imagine someone might have answered that. But they, they, they did. And I, okay. I take your point that, yeah, if you want to make it fit, making that like the Trojan War, which is what most of the, you know, Iliad and Odyssey was revolved around, was either going to and coming back from the Trojan War. I think that works, too. The, the criticism, of course, is going to be that the problem with a Huck Finn and things like that as a national narrative is it leaves out a lot of our national narrative. It leaves out the mess that the Civil War is. It leaves out right. the massive influx of immigration after the westward expansion that changed our country. Right. It, it, it's, it's, let's be fair. The criticism is true. You know, that's kind of a sanitized, whitewashing version of American history, which, of course, epics are like that because they're told well, right. to be good stories. Yeah. So that's why I kind of went to the Civil War first because that's the only one where everybody knows a little, at least a little piece of it, but it's still messy enough that you can get real history without all the, the mythification. Not that there's not a lot of mythification around the civil war, but I take your point. I think it works better as the Trojan war comparison than an overall epic, but that was just the first one I thought of. Let me give you a couple that are a little sillier, but I think okay. they're a little fun. Okay. Um, these of course don't fit, but as a genre style, Somebody brought this up. I thought this was actually interesting because this is kind of an ethos thing. Westerns, which are kind of uniquely American, at least in cinema especially, mm -hmm. they have some epic traits when you start thinking about things like how the Western, it's kind of uniquely American. It's it's that spirit of adventure kind of stuff. I, it's not a perfect square peg in that round hole, but I could see that. Yeah, no, I I think I think westerns and they're 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 a lot of them are structured kind of as epics they're supposed to be. A lot of the old westerns I think are probably there are a couple aren't they that are supposed to be modeled after the the Odyssey or what have you. Um, epics also to a point if you look at the traditional epic style, typically lends legitimacy to some type of rulership or to uh, a people's right to rule. Um, so if we think about, you know, d does a does a Western or do any of these things we've mentioned back and forth, uh, do those lend legitimacy, maybe not to institutions of government, but to a particular way of being that we consider all American? I think Westerns certainly do that. Yeah, absolutely. Westerns are great. You know, Westerns themselves, like, like, you know, like I was just saying, are sort of modeled after a lot of a lot of epics. So I can dig. I can dig that. Two others real quick that made this okay. list. Um, both of these, I actually, I like them individually. I don't know if they raise to the level of epic. Um, this one, <laughs> this, this is one of my favorite books that definitely need an editor because you could have cut out over a third of this book and made it a lot tighter because it gets into nomenclature. But as far as one-liners go, as far as epics go, as far as forming American literature going forward, Moby Dick. It's not It's oh. not arguable that that's... I. If you had to go with a piece of literature, that one's going to be hard to beat in the American canon. Although I would say maybe Tom Sawyer is probably more of an epic than, than Moby... Uh, well, not more of an American epic than Moby Dick. Uh, but yes, I think that's... It that's is written the, in the British... For the uninitiated... It's an American story, but it was very much a British seafaring narrative. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I take your point. Yeah, no, I think I think I, but I think that Moby Dick is certainly again, that's kind of meant to be an epic. If you look if you or it, it, it has an apocryphal bent to it. Right. It's got a kind of hero's journey type of return, you know, coming and going. Um, 
yeah, that, that would, that would certainly fit. This one's a little more obscure, although people will know the one part of it when I say it, but probably a lot of folks don't realize it's actually part of a, of a larger series. Uh, it's, I, I'm going to preface this by being honest. I've actually read the original book. It's unreadable. It is utterly unreadable. You cannot read it without a modern translation of this, even though it's written in America in English because it's unreadable. The Last of the Mohicans, it's part of the leather stocking tales. But if you're going to go to foundational myth-making, for a people and a culture and a country that's probably about as close as it gets as foundational myth making as the leather stocking tales and of course the most famous part of that is the last of the mohicans narrative yeah yeah that was i i think i think that one's a pretty good one that's a very good one that's that's a very good one um again all of these fit right they they are they they all fit in different ways that i think are really cool and again like american syncretism so that so no there isn't one grounded solid american epic but there are a whole bunch that if you compile them together as we've been doing you get these core themes that come up again and again and i think do not only shine a light on certain aspects of the American spirit, you'd call it, but also legitimate it and say, this is a really cool thing and applaud it and praise it and also critique it in interesting ways, you know, shine a light on maybe some of the more difficult or challenging aspects of the American spirit and the American story as well. So I think these all work when you put them together, uh, just like, again, this, this unique blend of ness that becomes american ness that is so wonderful yeah and on that yeah and on that one i i think this one at first i was kind of like and then the more i thought about the more i thought this actually really really fits because it goes into the one i started with which was the civil war this was a precursor to the civil war so if that's going to be your troy narrative um Mm -hmm. you know um if you're going to have an agamemnon you're going to have to have something that predates that Uncle Tom's Cabin, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Um, It was actually called Life Among the Lowly was what it was actually called originally. Two volumes. This really cranked up the social consciousness on a lot of levels. The more I thought about, the more I looked at it. Yeah, that one fits. (laughs) That absolutely fits. I think that's a great one to add to the the American canon uh, for a number of reasons. And I mean, to the American epic canon in particular that we've been making up just now, uh, it, that absolutely is, uh, is a powerful one. And I'd, I'd include that for sure. All right. Now my silly one. Um, but before I get to that, do you have one off the top of your head that you can think of that you would think either silly or serious, uh, epic for America before I give you my goofy one? Again, I'm going to, I'm going to say Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, um, and I don't know if there's a silly one that I have. Uh, no, I want to hear yours. Let's go for it. All right. Odysseus was a piker compared 
to any American trying to find a McDonald's ice cream machine that works during peak hours. Odysseus is a piker no matter what, man, but that's perfect. That's perfect. That's like someone that is, who, that is our Iliad is trying to find during peak hours an ice cream machine that is not in its maintenance cycle. I thought they were always all like in their maintenance cycles. I, I heard there's a reason for that, and it has to well, do they with shut them all of, down like, for regulatory failure. It's a conspiracy, man. No, I heard no, like I, I heard that there there's some weird reason that 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 McDonald's ice cream machines are always in their maintenance phase and it has to do with the fact that and it's it's sort of like it's actually not the government directly it has to do with it but it's a lesson about how centralization always fails um someone should look this up uh because and and, and read about it and think about how this is a metaphor because i can't remember off the top of my head but yes that would be an epic and someone should write it and someone should write the write the movie for it as well and if anyone wants to write a part for me that'd be great that 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 might be one of my uh, if I go down for surgery for a while, that might be one of my hospital things. I might have to write up the epic of the ice cream machine. So we Please may have to do, do that. All right. Amanda Griffiths, this is a little more fun topic, but, you know, epics are important. You know, natural national ethos is important. I thought this was a fun topic. I knew you'd be the perfect person to ask about it because you are well versed in the classics. So I will end with this since he is your favorite. Who would the American Ajax be? Ooh, I can't say me. Um, I, you know, no, it can't be you. No, I was joking. I was joking. Anyway, no. Who is who is the American Ajax? Here's the thing. Here's I think part of why I like Ajax so much is because Ajax has so many American um, qualities that I would identify as being very much American and individualistic. Um, there is pride, certainly. There is this uh, sense of self-determinedness and sense of individualism. Salvation's light is in the work of our hands. Um, there's, you know, the sense of your spirit leaps at a challenge. Um, your spirit leaps uh, at the opportunity to prove yourself. Who's the American Ajax? Uh, I almost said someone like Elon Musk. He's not even American. Um, I think, and Elon Musk's more more of an Odysseus type of fellow anyway. I got you um, yeah. I'll take a stab at it. Okay, okay. If he gets killed at San Juan Hill, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, I was I was actually, that Teddy Roosevelt occurred to me. Um, but, he, but he's got to die at San Juan Hill, you know, at the gates of Troy. He can't, he can't do the rest yeah. of it because then it doesn't fit anymore. Yeah. But if you have him just where he self-made himself, a vigorous life, all that, uh, the bully stuff, that would work. Because he was... fits all that. Not physically, obviously. He wasn't the imposing no. figure with the war hammer. But mentally, rhetorically, attitude-wise, he jumps off the page at me. Um, there'd probably be some other ones more physical, but that that's the first one I thought of. You're not going to believe me, but he was also the first one that I thought of. I then I tried to go for someone more contemporary, but yes, I think he's a, he's a great one. He's a great one to sort of say that's the American Ajax. Yeah, this has been fun. I'm glad we did this. Thanks for this making the time for me. We'll do more. We're going to have to do more classical stuff. Yeah. Fun, but, uh, Thanks Amanda for Griffin. Yeah, definitely. Amanda Griffith, let folks know where they can find you until we get you back on Hertel again, which will be often and frequently because we yes. love having Yes, and I love being here. I, people can find me on Twitter at Ajax the Griff. That's how Andrew knew. A-J-A-X-T-H-E-G-R-I-F-F. -F. 
And uh, you can also follow me at my contributor page at Young Voices. That's young-voices.com. Scroll down you'll see, or click on contributors. You'll see me, all the work that I've done uh, with Young Voices published through them, as well as media hits. Always love to engage with folks. So on Twitter and also young-voices.com, my contributor page is there. We'll have to get you some kind of Warhammer animation. Like when Please our do. budget gets high enough, that'll be fun. Please do. Um, I don't know what your personal t- gates of Troy will be, but please avoid them because we want yeah. you to around for a while longer. Yeah. Life is uh, just my gates of Troy. I don't know. Stay away from Hector. All uh, right. Uh, Amanda Griffiths, uh, always a pleasure, man. Thank you for the time. Thank you so much, Andrew. Yes, ma'am. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.